So you chose a great day to be at North Park. We are celebrating big time today. But before we do that, I want us to dive into a series that we've been in over the last couple of weeks called Explore God. Now, it's my challenge every week to, to stand before you and open God's word and through the power of the Holy Spirit, just like let's open our minds and our hearts and allow God the chance to speak to us when we're going through some of the biggest challenges in our life. Now, the great thing about it is, and that's why church is so important, is, is that we're not, we're not walking through this stuff by ourselves, but we are surrounded by people who will walk the journey with us. In fact, one of our core values at North Park is teamwork makes the dream work. And that's why when you walk in, those who are volunteering today wear that bright red shirt proudly, teamwork makes the dream work, because we want to remind you that you are not walking this journey alone. And it doesn't matter how big it is or how small it is, if it matters to you, it matters to us. And, and I had a great example. This morning, I got ready to come out for the first service, and, and I always kind of walk in front of the mirror right before I do, just to make sure everything's good and everything's in place, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I guess I was tired this morning, maybe got ready in the dark, and I stood in front of the mirror, and I went, no, 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 no! I had on a black belt with brown shoes, and you just don't do that, right? And I, I kind of froze for a second, and thankfully, Hunter was standing beside me, and he went, no problem, Pastor, and just pulled his belt right out. And so I am wearing Hunter's belt today. He's a, he's a couple of inches so smaller. It's a little tight around, around the belt. But we are walking this journey with you. And that's what Explore God is about. We want to help you with some of life's greatest questions. And, and we have a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions that we face in the world today. And I've got questions. I have questions I want you to help me answer. Questions like, do vegetarians eat animal crackers? I don't know the answer to some of the questions that we encounter. Questions like, if a word in the dictionary was misspelled, how would we know? Like, that's a big question. If love is blind, why is lingerie so popular? I mean, like, there's big questions. How about this question? Where in the nursery rhyme? This is going to blow some of your minds. Like everything that you know to be true in your life is about to unravel with this next question. Are you ready? Why is it that we automatically assume that Humpty Dumpty is an egg and nowhere in that nursery rhyme does it ever say anything about Humpty Dumpty being an egg? Come on, somebody. <laughs> about three o'clock this afternoon, you're just going to go, I don't know. Like it's just... It's goddess, it's goddess. Here's one, if you try to fail and you succeed, did you succeed or did you fail? I mean, that's a tough question. That's a big one, right? That's, that's a big one. Here, here's one for you. What if the hokey pokey really is what it's all about? <laughs> a lot of questions. So explore God. We are tackling some questions that maybe we've wrestled with for a long time. Now here's what's cool about this series. You may ride by some other churches today and you might see some things on social media. This is a series that we have partnered with more than 50 churches in the Triangle area and we're all tackling the same topics together. And that way some people that you may work with or you go to school with or maybe your neighbors with you can have some of these same conversations even though you might not attend church with them. We are in the body of Christ together 
And last week we tackled the question, um, is there really a God and does he really want a personal relationship with us? In the next few weeks we're going to look at, is Christianity too narrow? Is the Bible reliable? Can I, can I truly rely on the word of God? Can I know God personally? And today, specifically, we're tackling what I think I, I really believe is the hardest question. And that is, why does God allow pain and suffering? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Let's be honest, we've all experienced it. And if you haven't experienced it, you will, or you've seen other people deal with it. And we kind of look at the experience and, and we, we ask that question. If God is powerful and God is good, then why are we suffering? If God truly has the power to heal, then why are we sick? If God is truly good, then, then why are we struggling with the things that we're struggling with today? Why didn't God just make it, make it all go away? And today we're going to tackle some of those because we all wrestle with those questions. I'll be honest, the first time I was ever posed with that question um, was a few years ago. And um, if you know our story, if you've been around North Park, you, you know our story. I'll catch you up if you don't. Uh, my wife was leading worship this morning, and, and she's an amazing woman of God. And in October of 2012, um, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And in one calendar year, 12 months uh, as a family, we went through three surgeries and 16 chemo treatments, um, 32 radiation treatments. She lost her hair. We had Winnie, the wig, and all, all of that. Like, we went through all of that in, in one year, and it was, it was the fight of our life. It really was the fight of our life. And in October of 2013, the same doctor who looked at us and said, you have cancer, um, the same doctor a year later looked at Marianne and said, you, you were cured. And my wife just put up her hands and said, no, sir, I'm healed. I'm healed because God's doing something in my life. And so that's our story, right? God has um, done some great things. In fact, this October will be five years that she's cancer-free. Like, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome. Love you. Yeah, so it's awesome. And during that year, I watched my wife, as many of you did, like, she just, like, superwoman, right? She just, it, like, just came alive. And... and you did, she did not open her, her shirt to show us that. I did the Cam Newton. It's different for women. Um, Wonder Woman. I don't know. What's, what's that? <laughs> but I watched my wife. She just was amazing to us all, right? Because she didn't complain. I, I watched her get up. She, she'd be taking uh, the chemotherapy deal, and, and uh, she'd be sitting in there in her makeup, skinny jeans, and her boots, you know, while everybody was in Crocs. And, and she, would, she, she would get up, and, and she would take that pole, and, and she'd walk across the room, and I'd be like, baby, what are you doing? What are you doing? And she would say, I just sit here. Just eat your cookies, because <laughs> that's what I did while she did it. And... Um, well, that's a little tight. And, and so I, I would watch her walk across a room and she would go sit with somebody who was there alone and she could see on the look on their face, they just need encouragement. And so while she's receiving her own treatment, she was offering uh, medicine to somebody else. And so it was just powerful. Like God just used her and I watched her faith soar during that year period. But here's the problem. While that was happening in her life, for me, it was the complete opposite. While her faith was soaring, I felt like I was taken. I really was. And during that 12 months of watching my wife fight, and we're just trying our best to get through it all, right, and, and, and say that it is well with our soul, I remember that when we stood here on that stage a year later and proclaimed her healing, um, while she was at the mountaintop, I felt like I was at the lowest point of my life. 
I felt like I had been fighting. I felt like a fighter at the end, you know, of this fight, and I didn't have anything left. I didn't have anything in the tank physically, emotionally, spiritually. I was just struggling. And she looked at me one day and she said, honey, you, you really need help. You need to go sit down. You need to find a counselor. You need to find your voice again. And, and so I did. I reached out and I went, I went and sat down in a counselor's office. I'll never forget that experience. Some of you have been there. I, I'm used to sitting on the other side of the table. Even when I walked into his office, I even looked at him and went, I don't know where to sit. I just don't. Like I always sit on this side. You want me to sit on that side. I will say that side's much more comfortable. It's a big comfy couch. Like that was really nice. But I sat there and I had fear and I had doubt and, and I had all of these emotions just coming up in my heart. And, and I didn't know how to process all of that. And as we talked through that, one of the things that he said to me that, that really got me, and immediately when he asked it, I felt my arms go up in defense. I, I really did. Like, I kind of even went like that when he asked it. And his question was this. He said, surely as a pastor, knowing that God can heal, knowing that God can do these things, knowing all of those things, surely you must be so angry with God. And for the first time, I, I hadn't wrestled with that question, but immediately I went, no, I, I'm not angry with God. See, God healed my wife. God's grace was sufficient for us during all of that. And so how on earth can I be angry with God? I was getting angry with him because he asked the question, how can I be angry with God when God healed my wife and, and my, my good friend put his wife in the grave during that time because of her own sickness and her own battle? Like God healed my wife, but for some reason she died. And so he had to bury his wife. How could I, how could I be angry with a God who chose to heal my wife I still have my wife, my kids still have their mom, when my buddy, he doesn't, and his kids don't. How can I be angry with God? And, and I went home, and I wrestled, and I prayed, and I cried, and I yelled, and, and, and I realized in, in a moment of complete honesty, all the walls fell, and I realized I was angry with God. And I was struggling with the fact that I was because on one sense, God healed my wife. But on, the, but on the other hand, like I look at the scars on her body every single day and I watched what she went through. I watched as she laid on the floor in the bathroom crying as her hair was coming out. Like, like I, I wrestled with all of that stuff and I was thankful that God healed her. But I also knew that God could have stopped it from happening. I know that God could have kept us from ever walking that journey. And, and, and I recognize that, that God could have, could have kept us from experiencing all that pain. And so I wrestled with this idea that, yes, God healed her, but he allowed her to walk through it in the first place. And I was extremely angry. And see, there are some of us, we wrestle with some of those questions because if God is powerful and if God is good, then why on earth are we suffering? Now, did good things happen as a result of my wife's journey? Absolutely. I mean, she will tell you, she's a different person today. Other people have been inspired by her story. We've been able to connect on a deeper level with other people who are walking their own journey because of things that we've been through that we would have never understood under otherwise. She has an incredible story of healing. So yes, there have been positive things that have come from it. And here's what we do, like we search for these things, these positive things, so that no matter what it is, and if we can just find some positive thing, just a little nugget of, of, of positivity in, in all of this chaos and confusion and pain and hurt and suffering, if we can find even just a little bit, then, then something inside of us has a little bit of peace and we can say, well, it was worth it. 
Like all, all that we went through, like it, it was worth it because at least we can point to this thing right here. And, and, and that was positive and that was a good thing. So if, if this good thing happened and all of this that we endured, then, then it was worth it because of this one thing. We do that. We, it makes us feel better to do that. But let's just be honest and real this morning. There are some things that you've been through and there are some things that I've been through that we can't seem to find the good anywhere in it. I mean, we look around the world and we see nonsense happening. We see things that happen and we're just like, what in the world is happening? And I don't see any possible good thing that can come from that hurt and that experience. And if you've ever been in that situation, here's what I would ask you. Does that mean that God is any less powerful? Does it mean that God is any less good? Now, now here's what I want you to see. I'm not even naive enough to think we're going to tackle the issue of pain and suffering in, in our 25 minutes today. There's no way. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that everything in your life is going to miraculously get better if you just have more faith, right? I, I just want to tackle two things, and I think it will help you a lot. And, and here's the first thing. Why is there pain in the world? And then second of all, what should our response be to that pain and suffering in our life? So the first question, why is there pain in the world? It's very simple. I believe there's pain because sin entered the world when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. It really is that simple. When, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin entered the world, also consequences of those sin and choices entered the world as well. And so we have pain and suffering today as a result of, of choices that, that people have made. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life. And so, yes, there are consequences to our actions and the choices that we made. So if we want to follow that for a little bit, we've got to ask the question, why did they sin in the first place? Why did Adam and Eve disobey God and by doing so, all of this pain and suffering enter the world? I'll tell you why. They did that because they had a choice. And you have a choice. And every single day, you choose between doing the right thing and doing the wrong thing. Every day, you choose between the knowledge of good and evil, that, that, that tree that, that God told them not to eat from. Like You make the choice. Am I going to be disobedient to God, or am I going to choose the tree of life? Am I going to choose life with Jesus? Every day, you get that choice. See, he doesn't force his will on you. He doesn't, he doesn't make you obey him. He doesn't make you walk in fellowship with him, but he does invite every one of us into that relationship. And because we have the capacity to love and we have the capacity to do good and we have the capacity to do right things and walk in right relationship with God, we also have a pretty large capacity to hate and to not walk with God, and to wound and to hurt other people. We have a choice to make every single day. And as a result, there are consequences to those choices. But here's what I want you to understand. Now, I don't have this all figured out. I don't pretend to. But here's what I do believe with all of my heart. You are not walking with pain and suffering today because either God is angry with you or that he no longer loves you. And there's some of us in the room, we believe that. We believe that we are walking through pain and suffering because either God is angry at me because of something I've done, and that's why I'm suffering, because God is angry with me, or God must not love me anymore. Because I believe he's good, I believe he's powerful, so if I'm still suffering, then it's gotta be because I, I, I have done something and God is angry, or, or that he no, longer, he no longer loves me. And I want you to know, if you believe one of those two things, that's a lie. It's a lie of the enemy. God loves you. 
and he's not angry with you. You're not suffering today because of that. So let's just dig in, figure out why. All right, so Job. Now, I want to take you to the book of Job because Christians, we often go to the book of Job uh, to try to find some, some, some peace and, and some knowledge when we're suffering because this is an amazing count of some very bad things that happened to a very good man. Now, now this is the book of Job, J-O-B. It's not the book of Job, it's the book of Job, okay? Welcome to the English language. I'm just going to start reading Job chapter 1, verse 1 says, There was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz, and he was blameless. That's very important. The Bible says he was a man of complete integrity, and he feared God, and he stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He had many servants. So what are you saying? Verse, next verse says, he was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. This was a man that was favored. This was a man who had wealth. And this was a man of complete integrity. Look at verse 6. Now, one day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with him. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. And Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. And then the Lord asked Satan, How have, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless and a man of complete integrity. He fears God, and again, he stays away from evil. And look what Satan replied. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has very good reason to fear God. You have always put this wall of protection around him and his home and his property, and you have made him prosper in everything that he does. Look how rich he is. So Satan is saying, of course this man honors you. Of course he is a man that's blameless. He's never been through anything. He's never had to suffer. He's never gone through anything. You've had this wall built around him the whole time. If that wall was to fall, Job would be very different. He wouldn't respond to you that way. He says, but reach out and take everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Verse 12 says, all right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but do not harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence at once. Now, if you fast forward and you read through that story, here's what you're going to find. Job was decimated. In one day, one day, this man lost everything he had. He lost his wealth. He lost his family. If you fast forward, he even lost his health. Boils came all over his body. In a matter of hours, this guy loses everything. He goes from the mountaintop to the valley in, in just a matter of no time at all. But here's what this story does. This story refutes this idea that suffering always comes as a result of sin. I mean, some people think, well, you're, you're suffering? That means there's a lot of sin in your life. Like that suffering is in direct proportion to the amount of sin. That's why you're suffering. In fact, Job's friends surrounded him, and that's what they said. Surely you've done something wrong. Surely there's something going on in your life. That's why all this is happening to you. And yes, there are consequences to our actions. Yes, we deal with the fallout of our sin. But we can't always assume that just because somebody's suffering, that that's a result of some horrible thing that they've done to deserve it. Job was a man of complete integrity. But right here he was. And here I want you to see, God didn't necessarily cause these things to happen in Job's life. God didn't do these things to Job. But, but, but it's right here. He allowed that to happen in Job's life. So here's the question. Why would God allow something to happen to us 
if he loved us or have the power to stop it. Now, we have the benefit that Job didn't have. See, we have the whole story, right? When we're watching a movie, if you want to know how it ends, you just jump to the end. You just fast forward. You just skip some scenes, and you can see how it ends. If you're reading a book, you, just, you start from the end, right? And you can know how this thing ends. We know how this story ends. We know that because of Job's faithfulness, that he got it all back. He got his family back. He got his health back. He even, even restored greater than he was in the beginning. That's what scripture says. It's like a country song played backward. He got a house back, got his girl back, got a best friend, dog back. He got it all back, right? That's what happens if you play a country song backwards. You get it all back. Like he got it all back, right? And, and so we, we see the end, but the problem was like you and me, Job, Job didn't have the end. He had to walk through the experience, just like you and I have to walk through the experience. But here's what I want you to see. Why would God allow that in his life? Job 36 and 15, if you go to the end, this is what it says. But by means of their suffering, he rescues those who suffer, for he gets their attention through their adversity. Now, I know we don't like that because we don't like adversity. But it's that idea of James chapter one, verses two through four. If you've never even been in church very much, you're probably familiar with this verse of scripture. James writes, brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it as an opportunity for what? Great joy. And I know that is easier said than done. How do you consider the fight of your life to be great joy? Here's how. Verse 3 says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance has fully developed, you will be perfect, you will be complete, and you will not lack anything. And so what happens is, is you begin to understand that even though there might not be something positive that you can look at in that pain and suffering that you're going through right now, and you might not ever be able to like pinpoint the positive thing that God was trying to do in your life, what you can recognize is, is there's something that God is doing through us and in us as we walk through the fight of our lives. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you'll never recognize that if you're constantly screaming out, God, why me? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always in this position? Everybody else is flourishing. Everybody else is doing this. But I'm here in my sickness and I'm here in my situation. I'm here in my pain and suffering. And if you're always asking why me, you'll never be able to see what it is that God's doing inside of you. Now, we ask that question, why? Because we want to know the cause in the suffering. We want to know why we have to go through this. We want to know why we're having to walk through this valley. But here's what I want you to see. In this entire story, in this entire book of the Bible, 42 chapters of the book of Job, you will never find that God gave an explanation as to why he allowed Job's pain. But here's what you do find. You find God focusing on Job's response. So let's ask this question, what should our response be to the pain and suffering? See, the real issue wasn't Job's pain. The real issue was Job's faith. Would he continue to trust God even when everything went wrong? See, the, the, the biggest question you've got to ask in your life is not, will you deal with suffering and pain? I'll answer it for you. Yes, you will. 
If you've not dealt with it, if you're not dealing with it, at some point in your life, you're going to experience pain and suffering. Jesus even said, in this world, you will experience trial and tribulation, but you don't have to fear. Be of good cheer because I've overcome the world, right? So you are going to experience some pain and suffering. That's not the question. Here's the question. Will you trust God when you do? When you can't see what it is he's doing, when you can't trace his hand in your life, when you can't see what it is that's supposed to be positive in the middle of all of this pain and suffering, when you can't like wrap your mind around it, will you still be able to trust God? Doesn't mean that you don't grieve. I'm not telling you not to grieve. In fact, the Bible says that Job literally like fell on his face. He, he, he shaved his head. Like he, he put ash on his face and he fell down and he began to worship. He grieved, but he was worshiping in his grief. I'm, remember, I'm reminded of, of King David. The Bible says that King David had a son that was dying. And like, like, like you would do as a parent, like he was crying out to God on behalf of his son, God, take me instead of this son. And the Bible says that he didn't eat, he, he, he didn't want to be with anybody, he reclused himself, like he just, everybody pushed everybody away. He was going after God with everything he had, trying to fight for the life of his son. He was in the fight of his life. He was grieving and he was mourning. The Bible says his son died. And in that moment, what did he do? He got up. Now, I didn't say he got over it. I'm not telling you you're going to experience pain and suffering, so you should just get over it because God loves you and, and you're going to get through it. So just, just get over it. I'm not telling you to get over it. But I am telling you that we got to get up and we got to keep moving forward. And yes, it hurts. And yes, there's pain. And yes, there's suffering. But, but when we walk through it, our response, yes, we're going to grieve, but we're going to trust God and we're going to get up and we're going to keep moving. I mean, we can either keep crying out, why me? And kind of wallow in our suffering and lament, or we can look forward. We can continue to question, why me? Or we can say, okay, God, now what? We can remain bitter or we can seek to be better. And me, if you don't grieve, but it does mean that we keep moving forward. My wife and I have been wrestling with Romans 8 and 28. And this is a verse of scripture that a lot of Christians will hold on to, and in a good way. Because it says that God works together in all things. In all things, God works together for the good of those that, are, that love him and are called according to his purpose, right? And, and so in my mind, if something bad is happening to me, I can have peace and I can have, I, I can have rest because I know that somehow, even if I can't see it, even if I can't like, explain it in my journal, even if I can't wrap my mind around it, I trust God and I know that he's working somehow in all of this, even though I might not see it, he's working in all of this for my good. But that's not what the verse says. That's not what it says at all. It says in all things, God is working together for the good of those who love him. So that might not be you. That could be somebody else in the body, right? See, this is bigger than me. It's not just about me. And so I, I, I can just assume that what I'm going through is for my benefit. But what I have to understand is if this is truly bigger than me and I'm living for a greater purpose than just myself, I have to understand that what I'm facing may be something that somebody else benefits from. Because you are loved by God and called according to his purpose too. 
So that thing that you're going through may be bigger than you. It might not be about you at all. It might be to benefit somebody in the body you don't even recognize. See, C.S. Lewis said this, for God to use you greatly, for your life to benefit somebody else greatly, for God to do that, for him to use you greatly, you've got to be wounded deeply. Because what that does is helps you to identify with somebody else's pain. I had a pastor friend that I was talking to this past week, and he was sharing some things that were going on in his life and in his family and in the past. And, and he said, I, I hate that experience. I hate that I walked through that. But the reality is I pastor differently today because of that. Like I can identify with people's sin, and I can identify with their pain, and I can identify what they're going through in a way I was never able to identify with them before. See, the first time my wife and I ever experienced pain, I've got two beautiful kids. I got a daughter fixing to graduate from high school. But about six, six months before that, before she, we, we found out that Marianne was pregnant with, with Blair, we were pregnant before. Blair wasn't our first pregnancy. In fact, our first pregnancy we lost. We miscarried. And it was so painful. And I didn't understand, especially because in just a few months, like, she got pregnant again and had this wonderful, healthy birth. And, and I just kept thinking, why, 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 why did this have to happen? Like, why, did, why did we go through miscarriage if we were just going to have a child in just a few months? Like, that didn't even make sense. It's irrational. I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. I'm still not sure why. But I do know that I had a friend who looked at me one day, he's a pastor, and and he said, I'm not trying to make it better. I'm not trying to say this is why. Or I'm not even saying God told me to tell you this. I'm, I'm just telling you, Anthony, you've never had to experience pain. You've not been through a lot in your life. And he said, but because of this deep pain and this deep wound that you're experiencing right now, you will be able to minister to people in your future in ways that you never dreamed of because now you understand the depth of somebody else's pain. And it's true. It really is true. And so this is more than just about us. I believe that God will help you find purpose in your pain. We've often said at this church, if there's a life in your body, there's purpose for your life. If you're still breathing, God still has a plan. And it's going to be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Let me say it again. In the end, it's going to be okay. And if right now it's not okay, then that means it's not the end have to trust him just have to trust him I wish I could tell you that you're always going to have your questions answered I wish I could tell you you always be able to wrap it up and put a nice little bow on it go God there's going to be some dumb things you go through you just might not know when my daughter was two years old I did a funeral it was a painful feeling. See, there was a young lady that I'd met who was the same age as my wife. And when my wife was pregnant with my daughter, she was pregnant with her son. She, she worked at, at, the, at the office supply place. This was before Amazon, right? You actually had to go buy paper clips. And, and I love office supplies, so I love to go to the office supply place. And so I would always volunteer to go and, and, and I walked in this place and I got to know Denise because she was pregnant. My wife was pregnant and we'd talk about that thing. Oh, you had your baby. We had our baby. Let's see pictures. And oh, what's your baby doing now? And we just kind of grew up and she, her son was two. I'll never forget one day I got a call. Denise had been in a fatal car accident with her son. 
They were both killed. She didn't go to church. She didn't have a pastor. And so the only pastor she knew was the one that came and bought staples from her, right? And so her family called and, and asked me to do her funeral. I was so young. And, and I'm standing there. And to make it worse, she's laying in a casket in front of me. And, and, um, and, and her baby was in her arms in the casket. There's an open casket while I'm trying. It was just, I was devastated. And so I did the pastor thing. I said all the right stuff. I said all the stuff they tell you to say. I read all the things in the book and I said all those things. I read all the 23rd Psalm and we prayed the Lord's Prayer and we sang it as well. I did everything I was supposed to do as a pastor and I closed my book. And when I closed my book, I said to that congregation, I said, guys, I've done what I'm supposed to do as a pastor. Now we're just gonna be real because this doesn't make sense. This shouldn't happen. We should never have to bury a young mom and her two-year-old son in her arms. This shouldn't happen. This doesn't make sense. And we can't wrap our minds around this. And as soon as I said that, people just started weeping all over the room because we were always wrestling with the same question, right? Why does God allow these things to happen? If he's powerful and he's good, why is this happening in our life? And I said to that congregation, and I'll say it to you, it's okay for you to ask God why. It's okay for you to go in your room and cry and scream and, and, and yell. God can handle all of that stuff. He can even handle your anger. Your anger doesn't intimidate God. Your questions don't intimidate God. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You don't seek him without asking questions. And there are going to be some things that we go through that we just will never find an answer to. And it's okay for us to look at God and say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm even angry by it. I just can't wrap my mind around this. As long as at the end of the day, we're able to say, but God, I trust you. I don't have to understand. I don't have to have an answer. I don't have to be able to wrap my mind around it. I don't even know how my cell phone works, much less try to figure out the mind of God, right? His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. So obviously I'm gonna have questions I don't know the answers to. And that's okay. As long as at the end of the day, I'm able to say, but God, I trust you. You were good, you were powerful, you love me and you are doing something I may never see, but I trust you anyway. Stand with me right now.